Does Hebrews 6 imply that we can lose our salvation? Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Recently, we took the tests in 1 John for knowing whether we're in the kingdom. But once we're in, can we be out? That's the question that arises when we read the letter to the Hebrews. The author seems to be talking about real Christians, those who have seen the light, who shared in the Holy Spirit, and then fall away. There's more than good theology at stake. Jim will pray to open his sermon, The Danger of Defection. Father in heaven, thank you that there is a place where we can come, the throne of God, and we will always find peace and rest and comfort there. Thank you that there is beneath our feet a foundation that can never be shaken, never be moved. Not one jot, not one tittle of all that you've spoken will fail to be fulfilled, nor will it diminish in its truth. And that you would place within us your own life-giving spirit. Incredible. And that he would will within us that which you will for us. He would empower within us that which you delight in us. He will sustain within us and cause our love for you to grow. Father in heaven, your plan is perfect. And tonight we ask that you would open a fresh insight into how perfect that plan is, how dynamic, how tangible, how real, and how incredibly important, incredibly urgent it is that we hear and respond to you through your word, by your spirit, unto your glory. All of us tonight, Father, know someone who needs our prayers. We know situations and circumstances that can be improved if we will pray. All of us have friends and enemies who need to know your love, your grace, your mercy through us. And we are weak and frail, and we need your grace beyond measure. So tonight we lift our request to you and ask for you to minister in each of these needs. Father, we are aware that uh, tomorrow represents that day when we reckon unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then later this week, we'll be focusing our minds upon things that we must render unto God. Thank you for all that uh, fills our minds and hearts as we approach the Resurrection Sunday, as we refresh our memories concerning the cross in Gethsemane, the upper room, the ascension, the resurrection body, the assurance that we will never die. We'll fall asleep unless we're among that wonderful group who will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. This is a great week. Keep us from being unduly distracted 
Help us to soak our hearts and our minds in these things. To refresh our spirits. In the passages that remind us of these realities. Now prepare our hearts for your word. And tonight we ask a double portion of your spirit upon our hearing and our speaking. That uh, we would be fair and very honest with the passage. And that you will take this passage from Hebrews and do a deeper work in each of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We must begin here in order to uh, get into chapter 6, obviously. And chapter 6 contains one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. Difficult not to understand what it says, but to understand what it means. We will all understand before we leave tonight what the passage says. We probably won't all agree with what it means. That's where you have to answer questions such as, well, how about, or does that mean that, or does that mean that? Those kinds of questions we may not agree before we leave. But notice how the passage occurs. The writer is talking about the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's the major topic, and we'll be right back on target with that that next week, I promise, chapter 7. But there's this interlude between the two where the writer challenges the original recipients of this letter. Look how he does it. Chapter 5, verse 11. We, that is the writer of the book and those who are his fellow workers, we have a great deal to say about this, that is about the high priest Jesus and what it means that he is called a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says, now we got a lot to talk about. We talk about the high priest of Jesus and Melchizedek and all of those things. We have a great deal to say about this, but it's difficult to explain since you, the audience, have become slow to understand. Slow. Retarded in their hearing. Hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, once again, the basic principles of God's revelation. You've retrograded. You, you, you are not as sharp in your faith as you were some time back. Given the amount of time you have been saved, you've known the Lord Jesus, given that amount of time, you should be teaching others. You shouldn't need to be reviewing the basic principles. Verse 10, you need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message of righteousness because he is an infant. That's what he means by milk. You need to go back to A, B, C. We need to go back and start with you with 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals whatever it does, and 2 or 4 divided by 2 is 2. You should be in calculus. But we got to go back and teach you ABCs and 1, 2, 3s. Now notice, they're inexperienced with the message about righteousness. That's where their problem is. The message about righteousness is that revelation God has given by which he shows us how he wants us to grow up in the faith. 
he wants us to mature. He wants us to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the process that he has put in place to do that and the resources he provides for us to do that and our response to those resources, which enable that to happen, that's what he's talking about. When it comes to the message about God's righteousness, uh, you're inexperienced, you're, you're immature. You haven't grown up. Now, solid food is for the mature, namely those whose senses, whose judgment, discernment, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's not always an easy choice. It's not always an easy answer when somebody says, is this good, is this evil? You need to have a basis for that judgment. You need to have a discerning spirit to be able to weigh the various factors. And you need to, you need to have the ability to take the truth and apply the truth to that situation to discern which of the choices is on the right side of truth and which is on the wrong side. That's what he's talking about. You need to grow up. You need to mature. And maturity is evidenced in the ability to make discerning choices that correspond with God's truth. Got that? Now, if you think, <laughs> if you think the, the doctrine about Melchizedek is difficult, take a big deep breath. Here we go. Therefore, he says, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah. That is, I'm not going to give you a bottle. I'm not going to give you milk. I'm not going to pamper you in your immaturity. I'm not just going to put up with your, with your infantile maturity. I'm going to move on to give you meat. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to chew on this, this chicken leg. I want you to take on the maturing doctrines, not the elementary message, the basic things about who is Jesus and what does it mean to be Messiah and what's the scripture all about and is God's tr word trustworthy and is God real or is he fake? Those, those are elementary things, real elementary things. Now, I want you to leave, I'm going to leave those behind. If you're going to track with me, you're going to have to uh, stretch those mental muscles. That's what he's saying. Now, in the next phrase, you want to mark. Let us go on to maturity. Actually, if you were reading from a Greek text and you had some knowledge of Greek, you would say that's not an accurate translation, and it isn't. The Greek language has a way of saying active, that's what I do, passive, that's what's done to me, and then there's a middle tense. It's what is done to me by another force. And that's what you got here. You, we, we should translate that. Let us be moved along. That's what it should say. In other words, this is not so much the writer saying, let's set a goal out there and, and go get it. He's saying, let's discover and re-anew, reacquaint ourselves with the power of God, the resources of God to enable us to go on to maturity, because you can't do it by yourself. So let's, 
yield to, let's be moved by this, um, let's be moved toward maturity by resources, powers that are outside of ourselves. He's talking about not our working hard to get there. He's talking about our response to the enablement that God provides to those who choose to become mature. That's what he's saying. Well, where, where should we expect this, this energy to lead us? Well, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do. This we will do if God permits. In other words, we're dependent upon God for this. Now, there are six qualities there, and they pair up into three different pairs. And each of them, each of them, the writer says, are a part of the meat of the word. You, you, you think deeply about them, you'll see what he says. Just take the last two, for instance. The last two he couples together. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those are eschatological truths. Those are, those are the things that are futuristic. Those are the things that God's promised to, to do for each believer. As a matter of fact, he's promised to do it for every human. Resurrection of the dead. That is a universal topic that's future. Everyone who lives dies. And everyone who dies is going to be resurrected. And resurrection talks about the body, not the spirit. The body. That's a profound subject. It raises all these other ancillary questions like, well, well, do I sleep? Am I conscious after I'm dead? Where do I go? What's life from there? And resurrection, what will that be like? And when does it happen? And what happens after that? See? That's a profound subject. And the second one in this couplet, eternal judgment. Bible teaches us that no man, listen, no man ever perishes, goes to nothing. Everyone, every human who lives, dies, will be physically resurrected, and they will live in a state of eternal judgment. And there are a number of judgments out ahead of us. That's a meaty subject. It's a very personal subject. What it's basically reminding us is that we didn't get here by chance, and that the God who made us and who extends to us life has made us in his image, and we answer to him, and in answering to him, we don't escape. You can't just lie down, die, and be gone. It's not the way it works. Well, how does it work? Well, that's what the writer says. Let's dig into these topics that have enormous benefit, enormous stimulation for our understanding of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to trust Jesus Christ, what are the benefits of having a high priest, on and on and on and on and on and on, these two topics unfold. And the writer says, as God permits, that's where I want, that's where I want to hustle you, that's where I want to point you, that's where I want to lead you, that's where I want you to go. And I want you to know that as God permits and God enables, you will be drawn along into maturity. You'll grow up. Now, why was he that concerned about their growing up? Because 
Because the author knows that if you go brain dead, that death won't stop with your brain. Right now, you're dull of hearing, he says to them. And that's caused you to miss out on a lot of spiritual blessings. It's caused you to lose some benefits that you could have had and would have had. You've retrograded. And if you don't get on track, that disease of brain deadness, that stupor in your thinking, that careless attitude can permeate your whole life and you may become totally ill. Your retrograding may not just be temporary. It may result in a permanent infracturing of your capacities, your life, your choices, and it may cut you off from some of the things that God would love for you to experience. That's what's on the author's heart. Apostasy, moving away from the truth, Apostasy, taking truth for granted. Apostasy, refusing to grow, can be deadly. I think this may be fair, Doc. You'll have to help me here. I've got a couple of doctors here tonight. If this isn't true, you correct me. But if the doctor goes in and he finds, in my case, my case, they found that I had a, I had a, um, a cancer in, in the prostate gland. And the first concern they had after telling me that was, has it spread? What they meant was, has that cancer been in your organ long enough to have matured, multiplied, and generated, and some of those cancer cells have gotten outside the range of that individual organ and have penetrated tissue all around there? Is that, is that accurate? Okay. Now, that's the deal. You have a head full of intentionally dumb ideas. And that could spread and make you a very deficient person. So what the author does is he describes what that deficiency would look like. That's what he does. Look at what he says. It is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who became companions with the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word, and tasted the powers of the coming age, and have fallen away. Now, there are five participles there, and they're all equal. There are five conditions that he says if you slip into those conditions, it's like the cancer that was in your brain causing you to be dull of hearing has propagated. It's got in the bloodstream. It's gone out into your whole life, and it's poisoned you. And you know what happens when that happens? The doctor opens you up takes the cancer from the organ, whether it's the breast, whether it's the kidney, wherever it is. And when he sews you up, he says, got as much as I could get. 
You didn't get at that cancer soon enough. It propagated, and now you may not see Christmas this year. Why? Because I can't, as a surgeon, get all of those particulars back into that organ where it once originated and take it out all in one part. Well, the sweetest news I had when I woke up was, Jim, we got it all. Cut tissue all around the side, and you just got to tell you that, all that kind of stuff. And he said, we got it all. He said, uh, by the grace of God, you behave yourself, and you should die of something else. And that's what I'm working on. I'm going to die of something else. But I have more than once visited the bedside of someone where the doctor went into the brain, took everything he could, sewed it up, and the next day said, sorry, we'll, we'll try some chemo, we'll try some radiation, we'll do all, everything we can, but it, it got outside the organ. Where it was. Does that illustration work for you? That's what the writer's saying. Writer's saying, you you compromise with a stupor in your brain, you don't hear me well. You don't have the mechanisms in place to process what I'm telling you. You don't deal with that, and that will propagate throughout your whole life, and you will make many, 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 many other stupid, deadly decisions. That's what he's saying. Now, let's go back and just look at a couple of those, just sample some of those things. When he says, it is impossible, he doesn't mean it's improbable. <laughs> and, he doesn't mean, and he doesn't mean that uh, on average. He's stating a law. The law is that if you get yourself into this position that I'm describing, it is impossible to what? To renew... You have to pick up the rest of it down there, uh, down there at the end. It's impossible to renew, to renew to repentance. What does that mean? It's impossible to start over fresh tissue. You can't go back and recover all the days, years, and experiences that you've lost. And the writer doesn't want that for the readers. Impossible means impossible. Well, here we are celebrating Thanksgiving, a wonderful day of gratitude to God, rest, and possibly even some family bonding. And our study in the book of Hebrews has served us something even tougher than my aunt's turkey to chew on. There is good news here, even in this warning on the danger of defection. Jim will complete the sermon tomorrow. If you'd like to get the message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. It's part of a series called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. All 19 of those talks can come your way on disc for an offering of $66 or more. I'll tell you how to order in just a second. Thanksgiving blessings to you and your family. God has been good to us. And if you're thankful for Right Start, please consider standing with the ministry financially and kneeling in prayer. Here's how to help. You can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA or call after the holiday please 1-800-984-2313 that's 800-984-2313 and be sure to see the website rightstartradio.org 
When you visit us there, you'll be able to play radio programs going back many years, play or download Jim's complete sermons without interruption, and or you can receive Right Start as a daily podcast. There's a link to that service and a link to donate on the site. And we won't spam you for connecting, we promise. That's rightstartradio.org. And I'm Dan Pope. Thanks for listening. How shall we understand the first part of Hebrews 6? By reading the rest of the chapter, of course. We hope you can be with us when we conclude this message on Friday's Right Start. Right Start.